I want you to turn with me as we go to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And my assignment tonight is starting at verse 13. How many of you know that even as leaders, even as pastors, we have to be transparent? We have to lead with transparency. And if I'm being honest with you, I've had to refer to this scripture several times in my life as I've sought to live for the Lord and be a man of God. And may I say from the onset that it's not easy being a Christian. That there are trials and challenges that you will sometimes face as a believer. But be of good cheer for Jesus says that I have overcome the world. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. But before I get ahead of myself, let's go on and read our text for tonight. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. If you have it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold on. All right, we're good, we're good. All right. Paul says, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. For for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And mind you, before I keep reading, it doesn't say that he is a natural man, but a carnal man. We understand from 1 Corinthians that a natural man cannot understand the things of God, nor can he know them. So what we understand from this verse by him saying that he is carnal is that he is a Christian, but he's still working on his maturity in Christ. And this is where the struggle was. That's why we should never judge anything before his time, because God is doing something in the hearts of his own people. And sanctification is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. That's some good news for somebody. But he says, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Watch this. This is going to help somebody. Verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that. I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God. According to the inward man, but, somebody say but, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... 
I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You still with me? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Come on, somebody. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Man, I love this. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, look at your neighbor and say you. But you were not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is what? Dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's some good news right there. I want to speak to you for a few moments from the subject matter, the spirit of life. The spirit of life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for everyone that's gathered here in this house. I know they're not here by accident. And I pray that you would encourage them tonight, God, that you would lift their spirits, that you would use me as your servant, God, to illustrate and to articulate your word in such a way that you would be pleased and that you would use me in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing in the house of God. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit is key to our vitality? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This was clearly illustrated on the day in which Jesus was baptized and he showed up on the scene at John's baptism. The Bible says when he saw Jesus, John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he baptized him. Not immediately because he was a little hesitant because he felt that he needed to be baptized by Jesus. But when he finally gave in and baptized Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus, when he came up out of the water, that the spirit came down in the form of a dove and remained upon him. And then God spoke and said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And so there you see God, the father spoke, God, uh, uh, God, the son, Jesus was coming up out of the water. And then you had God, the Holy spirit that was coming down in the form of a dove. Three distinct persons, but each person is fully God. Now, as we look at this text, 
One of the things that I want to um, um, pinpoint and that I want to set up before we get into the crux of this message, the crux of these scriptures, is I want to give a little bit of context. Paul, starting in chapter 3, was beginning to explain to us the purpose of God's law. And when you look at Romans 3.23, I like to call it, and I've heard this before, and I was taught this a long time ago. Maybe some of you have heard of it, the Romans road, where you have Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10.9. So Romans 3.23 says, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But to kind of set the stage for the benefit of anyone in this room, what is sin? Where does sin come from? Well, we know that sin came from Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. But sin, in its simplest definition, is missing the mark. It's almost as if if I had a dartboard that was up here and I had a bullseye that was there in the middle and I said that the bullseye was the mark that God has set. It's missing the mark. But then we have to define what is the mark. I know you're saying that sin is missing the the mark, but can we identify what the mark is? Well, the mark that God has set is his law. And more specifically, the Ten Commandments, which are outlined in Exodus chapter 20. Most of you may know the commandments. A few of them honor your mother and father, which is probably a word that a lot of young people don't want to hear these days, but to honor your mother and father so that your days may be long on this earth. Do not steal, do not commit adultery, and it goes on from there. In Exodus chapter 20. But watch this. At one point in my life, I thought that if there were certain laws that I kept, but didn't keep the other ones, that I was good in God's sight. But one thing that I failed to realize is that God is not like man. He is altogether holy. And he demands absolute holiness and nothing less. This is clearly illustrated When we look at the book of James, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, even if you offend the law in one point, that you are guilty of the entire law. So it's not like you can pick and choose. There are certain commandments that I'm doing okay in and others that I am not doing okay in and I'll still be good. God says you have to keep the entire law in order to be justified. Breathe a little bit. None of us have kept it including me. And if I can be honest with you, I've broken every last one of them at some point in my life. All of us have fallen short. But then the question comes up, why would God give this law? He's a good God and his laws were given for a purpose. Well, even in Romans chapter 3, he begins to describe to us the law was given so that we could have a knowledge of sin. Without the law, there's no knowledge of sin. And what's interesting is even though we have a knowledge of what sin is, the law doesn't help us to get rid of sin. It only reveals what it is. So even though it is good, even though it is righteous, even though it is from God, even though it is given to us by our Father, yet and still it only reveals sin and therefore condemns at the same time. But the law itself is good, but the sin that is in us is what is bad. Are you with me? And what's interesting is Paul begins to dissect and he tells us that sin 
took opportunity through the law to condemn us. See, here is the thing. Before the law was ever in existence, we were free in regards to God's law because there wasn't a law. There wasn't a standard. Paul begins to dissect this in Romans chapter 5, that sin is not imputed. It's not charged to somebody's account until there is a law. But nonetheless, the effects of the law were still going on from Adam all the way until Moses because Moses was the one that brought the law. People were still dying, which was a result of sin, but it wasn't being charged to their account. Are you with me tonight? But he says something interesting in this verse. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Jesus, Jesus Christ. So even though I have a knowledge of sin, even though I know that I have fallen short, then we move on to Romans 6, 23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's the good news. Even when I'm sharing the gospel with people, it's very important that they have a firm understanding of the law, lest they not be able to understand grace. Jesus himself, helped us to understand the law, and he used the law as a way to draw people to himself. Let me prove it to you. Remember the rich young ruler in the Gospels that came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, there is only one that's good, and that's God. Why do you call me good? And then he went on to say, have you kept the commandments? Thou shalt not steal, thou thou shalt not commit adultery. And the man said, I've kept all of those commandments since my youth. But what did Jesus say? There's one thing that's lacking. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the commandments that he failed to keep were those that were in relation to his God. Money had become his God. And the Bible says that he walked away because he had many possessions. Are you with me? You guys remember the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And we always say this, where was the man? Why was the woman just brought forth? There's a problem there. But she was brought forth before Jesus by a religious group of people. And they begin to say the law and say that because of the law, because of what the law says, this woman is to be stoned. Now watch this. The woman was listening to what the law demanded. Watch this. She understood the penalty for her crime. But Jesus stepped in as grace, as mercy, and, and, and he spoke to these religious people and said, he who was without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they began to throw away their stones and they walked away. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? I don't know. And he said, I don't, con- and I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why was she able to embrace grace? Because she understood what the law demanded. The law demanded that she was to be stoned, therefore she could receive grace, and therefore she could love God with a reckless abandonment because she knew what she had been forgiven of. The woman who was at the well, John chapter 4, Jesus said he had to go through Samaria, and he met this woman at the well. And you guys know the story. He began to tell her about this living water, and if she drank of this water, she would never thirst again. And so she's like, you know what? I want this water. I want it. And Jesus said, go call your husband. First thing he said, why? Dealing with the law. And she said, wait a minute. 
I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you have rightfully said you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one who you're with right now is not your husband. Now, Jesus didn't say this, but we can look back and give a praise break because he was the seventh And seven is the number of perfection. So Jesus stepped right in the nick of time to save her and offer her grace. Are you with me in this place? But she had an understanding of the law. Therefore, she could embrace grace. It wasn't until I understood my wretchedness. It wasn't until I understood I have to have a sorrow over what I've done before the Lord to where I could really embrace his grace. Are you with me tonight? That's why you don't have to force me to worship the Lord. That's why I don't necessarily have to have a worship team to lead me in worship. When I think about where I was and where he's brought me from and how many times he's forgiven me and how many times he showered his love and grace on me, it compels me to worship, even though singing is not my gift, all right? I still worship him. I still give him a shout. But the question that lingers in a lot of our minds is, what do we do with the law? Now that we've given our life to Christ... Now that the Holy Spirit has come to live on the inside of us, because Ephesians chapter 1 says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives on the inside of you. Are are you guys with me? He lives on the inside of us. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, we also have the law. What am I to do with this law? And this is what Paul was trying to illustrate to us in this verse. And I have some points that I want to share with you. Is this helping somebody? Point number one, the law of sin is defeated by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. The law of sin is defeated by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The word law in Greek is nomos. And it means an inward principle of action, either good or evil. The term designates a standard for a person's life. The Apostle Paul explains how the law of sin operates in his flesh or in his own nature, causing him to sin. So even though he possessed the Holy Spirit, he hadn't quite come to a point, and he's trying to show us now in this moment, and this is the encouragement for you today, you have to embrace the life of the Holy Spirit, that he lives on the inside of you. So even though there is a law and even though there are commandments, Jesus, when he lived on this earth, the Bible says that God sent him here to live a perfect life, and when he lived on this earth, he condemned sin in the flesh. So he took our likeness. Not that he was in sin, but he took on the likeness of sin because he became human. And when he lived on this earth through his life, he helped us realize by me overcoming sin, you can do it too. And this is how you're going to do it. I love what the scripture says when it says that he condemned sin in the flesh in Romans 8. What that in essence means is, is that when Jesus took on a human nature, And he walked on this earth. The Bible says he was tempted in all points, just like we are, but he never sinned. Every temptation that you face in this life, Jesus went through and he overcame it. But here is what the problem is. This is what happens with us sometimes. 
We try to be justified or we try to be good in God's sight by keeping the law instead of walking by the spirit. And when we try to live by the law, we will fall short every time because we weren't meant necessarily to keep it because of our flesh. But through the spirit, we experience life. Are you with me? If you look at this scripture, like in Galatians chapter 5, one of the things that, that Paul begins to lay out is he shares with us what are the workings of the flesh? What are the outer workings of the flesh? And he lists all of these things, idolatry and jealousy and outbursts of wrath, this long list. But you know what I used to do or what I used to think? I used to always go to those laws and try to say to myself, I'm going to try my hardest not to do all of these things. How many of you have been there? You fall every time. And I was the same way. Though I would try my hardest. And that's what Paul was trying to show us as he was being transparent. The man who wrote almost the whole New Testament is explaining to us the struggle that he had so that we would have confidence in the fact that we can overcome just like he did. How many times did he say I in those scriptures that we read? How many times have we tried to live for God on our own and not allow ourselves to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? That's where our struggle is. But as I looked at that list in Galatians, and I tried my hardest to live by those lists, I would always fall short. But one thing that I discovered is that instead of trying to live outside in, I need to live inside out. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of me, the hope of glory. And there are gifts that the Holy Spirit releases into the church. Are you with me? You do realize that all of you have a spiritual gift. And those gifts are outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You can learn about the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, Paul says, desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. And thank God we're a spirit-filled church that believes in spiritual gifts and the operation of the gifts. But it's time for us to flow in those gifts as well and to discover what our gifts are. But the thing is, when we embrace the life of the Spirit in Galatians 5... When we are led by the Holy Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And guess what? We will fulfill the law at the same time. What did Jesus say? All of the law can be summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and your soul and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law can hang on those two commandments right there. And even though it seems so simple, it's so difficult in practice. Because we have distractions, we have things that come up in our life. But the thing is, you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. One of the things that confuses a lot of people is when you get saved, you think that your flesh goes away. You still have your flesh. Even though you have a godly nature that has been renewed, why do I say renewed and not new? The reason I say renewed, because there was a time when we were spiritually acute, we were spiritually in God's presence, but because of Adam's fall, we died spiritually. You guys know the story. Remember when uh, God said, in the day that you eat of this tree, to Adam, in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. When Adam ate of the fruit, after Eve ate of the fruit, did he drop to the ground? No, because it wasn't a physical death, it was a spiritual death. 
Are y'all with me? So he died spiritually and all of us died in him. That's what a kingdom is. It's a king's domain. Why do you think all of these catastrophes and things happen within the earth? Even in Romans 8, it says all of creation is eagerly waiting to be liberated from the sin and the bondage that it was subjected to because of the fall. All of creation, because that was under Adam's domain. And when he fell, everything up under him fell as well. But thank God that was not the last Adam. We have the last Adam, Jesus, who came. And the likeness of Adam, but different, was not born of a man, but born of the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and lived a life without sin. And therefore, he was able to be a worthy candidate to die in our place. Most of you might remember when Pastor Frank ministered a couple of weeks ago, and he said something, and I'm not sure if all of you caught this. But remember when he said, when Jesus, if Jesus just came to this earth to save us and to take us to heaven, why did he have to live 33 years here on the earth? He could have just came here, died on the cross, and then gone straight to heaven. But the reason why he stayed and lived this life is so you could have a victorious life through him. That's what it means when it says when Jesus was walking through this earth, he was condemning sin in the flesh. Every time the flesh tried to rise up on the inside of him, he condemned it and he overcame it. And what he was thinking about is the future victory that you would have because his spirit was going to be on the inside of you. So even the same temptations you were going to face just like him, but you're going to receive the victory because he's already overcome it and his nature is on the inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And that's the power and the glory that we have in him. I love this. But we are a spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. And one of the difficulties is trying to allow our renewed spirit who's energized by the Holy Spirit to overcome our flesh. Let me say that again. Trying to get our renewed spirit who's energized by the Holy Spirit to overcome our flesh, our old nature. Am I speaking to anybody that when you've given your life to Christ that there's a war on the inside of you? There's a battle like every day. There's a part of you that wants to live for God. There's a part of you that doesn't want to live for God. There's a part of you that, that, that like wants to love your spouse a certain way, but sometimes you may have certain things that come out of your mouth. You want to love your kids. You want to do certain things a certain way. But other attitudes, other outworkings of the flesh are sometimes produced in your life, and you feel this struggle. You feel this tension. Let me tell you something. You're not alone. All of us have this tension. All of us have this struggle, but there's one thing that'll help us overcome our flesh is yielding to the Holy Spirit. How do I yield to the Holy Spirit? First of all, yielding to the Holy Spirit involves feeding the Holy Spirit. When we wake up every day, we have a choice whether to walk in the likeness of the flesh or to walk in the likeness of the Holy Spirit. We have a decision. You know what? I've woken up today. I don't know what this day may bring. I don't know who's going to cut me off today. I don't know if I'm going to be laid off from my job. I don't know if I'm going to have an argument with somebody, but I'm putting no confidence in my flesh. I'm going to build up my spirit, man, so that no matter what I go through, I remain in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Where we go, he goes with us. 
That's why it's so important that we don't quench the Holy Spirit nor grieve the Holy Spirit. I've talked about this many times before. It is very important that you embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because when you are convicted, it's positive proof that he loves you and you are his son. You are his daughter. And he's trying to get you from point A to point B, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Watch this. Point number two, yielding to the Holy Spirit is where we discover our true identity. We enter into the realm of intimacy with God. The Holy Spirit himself is our guarantee of a long-awaited marriage. What do I mean by we discover our identity? In those verses, verses 12 through 17, Paul says something interesting, and let me read it to you. Is this helping somebody? He says in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are what? The sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, you know what's always puzzled me? Why would he say that we are adopted when he was the one that created us? The Bible says in Psalm 139 that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he was crafting us together when we were in our mother's womb. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus, he is the invisible image of God, and all things were created through him, and without him nothing was created. So how is it that we were adopted, but yet you were the one that created us? But as I looked at who he was writing to, it was the Romans. And the Romans in their culture... If they had, if a man had a son and he found some sort of um, uh, trait within his son that he didn't like, he could actually disown his son. But if he adopted a son, come on somebody, if he adopted a son, he had to assume all of the liabilities and debt that came with that son. And he took on all of those responsibilities and he could never disown that son. All of the inheritance that went to his natural born son was then also given to his adopted son. Jesus is trying to tell us the work that I have started in you, I am faithful to finish. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's trying to help us to understand the security we have in him. But he says something interesting in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we, that we may also be glorified together. I love this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's how you know that you're saved. Because the Spirit bears witness. You know that 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 you're saved. It's not arrogance. It's not cockiness. It's confidence in God's word because his word will not return unto him void. It's knowing what you believe. But I close with this. In Ephesians, Paul says, and I mentioned this earlier, and this is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is some good stuff right here. And this has always given me comfort. In Ephesians 1, he says, After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the purchase possession. What does this word guarantee mean? In the Greek, this word guarantee means engagement ring or down payment. So not only is the Holy Spirit the seal of ownership in a believer's life, but he is also the engagement ring for the long-awaited marriage between the bride of Christ and the bridegroom, Jesus. In essence, what he's telling us is the Holy Spirit that is in you, he is making you a bride that is suitable for Christ. He's working out the rough edges. He's extending to you grace. He's bringing you through trials and tribulations. He's bringing forth gifts in your life, releasing gifts as the Spirit wills so that all of the body can be edified. The Holy Spirit is in us to help us achieve sanctification. Sanctification is a process, faith church. You don't become like Christ overnight. But it's a process where the Holy Spirit works on the inside of you. And I don't know about you, but when my wife, when she wore that engagement ring back in 2005, seems like a long time back, but back in 2005, like some of y'all have been married a whole lot longer than I have and can share a lot of wisdom with me, so I know it's a short time, but back during that time when she wore that ring, it was an indication that she was taken. It was an indication that there was a date that was coming up, that there was a marriage that was coming up, that there was a marriage that was about to occur. This is why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, come on, man, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And the proof that I left with you is my Holy Spirit. I left you my Holy Spirit to be your guide, to be your comforter, to be your strength, to be the one that keeps you in the midnight hour. Now I understand what Paul meant when he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I've had times in my life where I thought I was going to throw in the towel. I've had times in my life where I wanted to give up, but there was something on the inside that was pushing me. There was something on the inside of me that said, you cannot give up in this moment because I've called you to a greater purpose. And I know in that moment it was the Holy Spirit. When you obey the Holy Spirit and yield yourself to him, you fulfill the law. And Jesus came to not destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And because he fulfilled it, he was a worthy candidate to die in your place. He took the penalty of your sins upon his shoulders and died a death that no one else could die and rose from the grave. And anyone who places their faith and trust in him can be saved and possess the Holy Spirit and live themselves through the Holy Spirit and fulfill the law as well. Stand to your feet in this place.